0: last few months, and uh, Miss Elaine uh, is in the middle of a transition, and uh, she's received a couple job offers out of state, and so she may be leaving us this week, and so um, please pray for her, and uh, we're all sad about that, but at the same time, we're excited to see what the Lord has in store for her next chapter And so be in prayer for her, if you will, as she transitions into the next stage of life and ministry, Miss Elaine. And I'll be praying for you. Thank you so much. Before, you can go ahead and start turning to Song of Solomon, chapter number six, if you will. Song of Solomon, chapter number six. And while you're turning, let me just reference that today is the day before Miss Mary Grant's 80th birthday. And uh, so she's sitting right there. And so happy birthday, Miss Mary. And uh, if you see her after church, maybe wish her happy birthday and uh, happy birthday, Miss Mary. We love you. And uh, take your Bible, Song of Solomon, chapter number 6. It is good to be back in church and uh, looking forward to the message today. As we come back into the story, remember just for a little bit of background where we are, uh, we see these two people who are madly in love uh, we know their relationship is far from perfect. Uh, they, uh, we saw them go from madly in love to last week they had a harsh fight. Uh, to now we're at the point where they're ready to make up. And uh, it reminds us of a very simple truth that we all need to kind of take note of. And you can write this down if you want to. But they remembered what it was that drew them together. They remembered what it was that kind of united them together. That first drew them together. To each other, so let me just kind of ask you this morning: What is it about the person that you're with that first drew you to them? Uh, maybe it was uh, to some, it might be personal. You know, they they love me, or uh, they make me feel special, or they were kind to me, or he or she has an awesome personality, or they make me laugh. Uh, maybe it was physical. You know, nobody looked as good as they did, Pastor. You know, uh, maybe it's spiritual. They uh, you say, you know, they draw me close to the Lord. Uh, they make me feel like uh, I can be something in the Lord's sight. Uh, but all of us have a very practical reason that you can kind of point to. Uh, you can put your finger on it and say, that is the reason that I'm with that person. But today, in light of this chapter, I want you to spiritualize the question and ask for just a moment what is it that drew you to Jesus? What is it about Him that makes Him lovable to you? What is it that you say, man, that is what keeps me coming back for more? He is that, and you fill in the blank. Uh, you could say the same thing about a church. Now, what is it that keeps me coming back to Crossroads? Now, what is it about this place that's so special? We all have all kinds of reasons, but let's look at Song of Solomon chapter 6 and, and look at, at what it was about each of them that drew them to each other. Chapter number 6, Song of Solomon. Uh, let's read the first three verses. Look at verse number 1. Uh, the Bible says, "Whither's thy beloved gone, O thou fairest among women? Whither's thy beloved turned aside, that we may seek him with thee? My beloved is gone down in his garden to the bed of spices to feed in the gardens and to gather lilies. Verse 3, I am my beloved and my beloved is mine. He feedeth among the lilies. Let's stop right there and let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time together. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for the opportunity to be in your house again. And Lord, I ask that you please speak to our hearts. Lord, please speak to each of us where we are today. And help us to see what it is about you that drew us to you in the first place. Now, Lord, we know within ourselves there is no good thing that makes us lovable as far as the world is concerned, Lord, but we understand that you love us with a perfect love. Lord, you sent your son, Jesus, to die on the cross to draw us back from the fall of sin. And Lord, we ask you to please help us to love you with that same level of commitment that you have for us. Lord, please speak to my heart. Please cleanse me of sin. Help me to see. Lord, help me to be clean as I preach your word to your people. And Lord, please use me in a special way today. Lord, help the words of my mouth to be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Help us to see our spiritual need. If there's one here today that doesn't know you as their personal Savior, help them to see where they are today in need of you. We love you and thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're taking notes this morning, you can write down number one, the findings, the findings uh, remember that the woman was speaking when we last saw the couple. She'd gone out into the evening looking for her husband. Uh, she had been abused and ridiculed by the men and women of the town. She told them uh, how much she valued who he was originally. and So much so that the women in chapter number 6, verse 1, have a change of heart. And they begin asking her, Uh, what it is, and how they can get involved in the hunt. We see, uh, number one, the desire that's mentioned in verse number one. Uh, They start asking the question to her. Uh, They start asking, hey, how can we find your man? Whither is thy beloved gone, O thou fairest among women? Whither is thy beloved turned aside? Hey, where is he? How can we find him? How can we assist you. They ask her how they can get involved in the search. The motivation seems to have changed. Uh, the previous chapter, they were chastising her for letting him walk. And now after hearing her description of him, she, they're all like, Hey, how can I find a man like that? Uh, how can I get a piece of that? Uh, we want some of that in our life too. And, and when people hear you and I talk about our spouse, do they leave the conversation wanting what you have? Are sorry for what you have? Do they feel sorry for you and feel sorry for your spouse? When you talk about your spouse to your kids, do they want to grow up one day and marry someone like your spouse? Or just the opposite? When people hear you talk about Jesus, do they desire Him or not want to be anywhere near Him? do you see you and i are the only bible that some people will ever read do they want a relationship from the pages of your life what do they see matthew chapter 5 verse 16 let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father which is in heaven second timothy 1:8 be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our lord nor of me his prisoner but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God? Does your testimony accurately reflect Christ in all that you do? Does He Do people look at your life and say, Man, I want a Savior like they have. Would people come to church with you if you invited them based on your testimony? You know, we asked you last Sunday to grab a stack of these cards. and We have 6,000 of them and multiple service opportunities over the next several weeks for people who are in need of hope, who are in need of healing. Uh, the title of our Christmas series is, Do You Need a Christmas Miracle? And we all know people who need a miracle. And That miracle, by the way, His name is Jesus. He is the answer for all the world today, as the song says. He is what we need. But would people want a relationship with Jesus based on the one that you have with Him? You are that Bible that people are reading. See, these women saw how she talked about her husband and they wanted that for themselves. There was a desire, but number two, there was a direction in verse number two. She knew Him well enough to know His level of commitment to her. He had already been to the garden. He says, She says in verse number 2, My beloved has gone down in his garden to the bed of spices to feed in the garden and to gather lilies. He had already talked about what that garden was. And the figurative and literal sense in chapter 4 verse 12. He said, A garden enclosed is my sister, my spouse. A spring shut up, a fountain sealed. He had already been there. He had already assumed ownership of Her of that place, that garden, she belonged to him, had already given herself to him. She had already surrendered who she was and her identity was now found in him. See, when we come to Christ for salvation, there is a surrender of the will that takes place. See, before Christ, there was a desire within ourselves to do what we want to do. To live out our desires, to fulfill our desires for living. But when Jesus comes into our life, He changes that. He changes that not for the worse, but for the better. We exchanged our desires for His desires. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 through 3 says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had all of our conversation or manner of living, our way of life, in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature... The children of wrath, even as others. See, we thought we were doing fine on our own, but we had a need that we couldn't fix on our own. We had a need, and we couldn't do anything about it within ourselves. Edward Carnell said, Man cannot be righteous in God's sight until he repents of his own expectation that he can be righteous in his own sight. And then he said, God is not mighty toward man until man is weak toward God. See, we had to humbly submit ourselves to Him. It's something that we still have to do now after we've accepted His salvation. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to the world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So the question is simply this, have you submitted yourself to him? Have you surrendered your plans, your manner of living, your life? Have you surrendered to him? Are you his in all sense of the word? The desire, they had a desire to have what she had. We see that that she had this direction, she knew where he was, where he had been. And then verse number three, we see the dedication. Look at verse number three. She doubles down on his pledge and her pledge. She says in verse three, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. He feedeth among the lilies. She doubles down here. She opens up herself and says, I'm not ashamed to be connected to him. How are you in wanting to be tied to Jesus? Does that make you uncomfortable? Or are you totally fine with it? Does that satisfy you to be connected to Him when His name is mentioned? Do you identify yourself boldly and proudly with Him or ashamedly with Him? Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Keller said, Jesus says, I want you to follow me so fully, so intensely, so enduringly that all other attachments in your life look weak by comparison. Tozer said, If I am to wholly follow the Lord Jesus Christ, I must forsake everything that is contrary to him. Are you following Jesus? Are you dedicated to him? That's not to say that there won't be some rough patches along the way. Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and verse 12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Following Jesus involves a manner of suffering in this life. But it's just like you can make the exact same analogy with marriage. See, when I choose to spend the rest of my life with someone, I'm also choosing to deny myself of some things. That means where we go eat on Sunday afternoon sometimes Uh, that might mean a a decision that I would like to make for me like uh, the newest Lego set that I want to buy that Michelle won't let you know uh, all of those different things she keeps saying something about mortgage mortgage for I I don't understand that Uh, but uh, you know no longer am I living for me but my life becomes about us when i made that decision to get married there was an exchanging of the will ephesians chapter 5 verse 25 says husbands love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it yeah you know, i thought about this quote and it's in your notes every time you say yes to something you're saying no to something else every time i say yes to something i'm saying no to something else When I say yes to Jesus, I'm also saying no to my old way of living, to my old life, to the flesh, to the world. When I say yes to my spouse, I'm saying no to everyone else. I'm saying yes to her and no to all the other people who are long line yeah sure, a uh, long line of people who uh, wanted to spend their life with this guy. Uh, but I'm saying no to my plans. I'm saying no to my desires. Uh, No, to my will, it's no longer what's best for me. It becomes what's best for us. And when we walk with the Lord, what's best for me is what's best for us. When I look at my life with Christ, what is best for me is his desire, which should be my desire to say, Lord, it's not about me anymore. It's about our relationship. It's about this new journey with Jesus that I'm walking and what is best for us. But do I see following Jesus as being better? Am I dedicated to pursuing Him? She talks about her findings. Hey, I'm His and He's mine. This is the relationship. But then number two this morning, she talks about the facts. The facts. Look at verse number four. For the first time since the fight in chapter number five, The man speaks. Up to this point, it's been the woman or the chorus of these other women. And now he is going to describe her yet again. Look at verse 4 through 7. We see that he praised her. He praised her. You know, this would have been a perfect time for him to vindicate himself, uh, to give an excuse of why he left in the first place in chapter 5 when she opened the door. But he doesn't do that. He gets down right to the matter and what does he do? He reassures her. That he belongs to her. Look at verse 4. He said, Thou art beautiful, O my love, as Tirza. Come, comely as Jerusalem, terrible as an army with banners. Turn away thine eyes from me, for they have overcome me. Thy hair is a flock of goats that appear from Gilead. Thy teeth are as, and I won't say anything about West Virginia today, uh, the teeth are as a flock of sheep with uh, go up from the washing. Verse 7 As a piece of pomegranate are thy temples. Uh, he describes her, he reassures her of his love for her. And the fact that she belongs to him and he belongs to her. Second Thessalonians chapter three and verse three talks about who the Lord is. It says, but the Lord is faithful, who will establish you and keep you from evil. First Corinthians one nine, God is faithful by whom you were called in the fellowship of His Son Jesus Christ our Lord. Second Timothy one or two thirteen, if we believe not yet, He abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. See, he reassures her and talks about her in ways that only a faithful husband would talk about the wife that they love. He talks about her hair, teeth, temples, and not nearly descriptive as last time. But it's enough to remind her that he's not forgotten her. It's enough to remind her that he still is faithful to her. When was the last time that you and I needed reminding of the faithfulness of our Savior? When's the last time that you and I needed a a reality check that God is still faithful to us? Oh, Pastor, man, you know, Thursday was bad because we were with family again. You know, and, and those people that I, thank God, I only have to see them one time a year. But you know what? God is still faithful. In spite of your week that you had, God is still faithful. And He still loves you. Whether you realize it fully and completely or not, he praised her. But not, num- not only that, number two, he prioritized her. Look at verse number eight. There are threescore queens and fourscore concubines and virgins without number. My dove, my undefiled, is but one. She's the only one of her mother. She's the choice one of her that bear her. The daughters saw her and blessed her, yea, the queens and the concubines. And they praised her. He points to the harem that Solomon had, 60 queens, 80 concubines, numerous virgins, but none of them caught the attention of the shepherd like she did. None of them stood out to him except her. You know, We think of ourselves as nothing from time to time. Jesus proves to us that we're everything to him. How did he do that? He died for you. He died for me. He died for us. And the shepherd looks at this woman and says, there is no one else. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. See, we wouldn't know what love was if it was not for the love of God. And that love is shown to us through Jesus. It's a pure love. 1 John 3, verse 1 Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. He even talked about how he was, he was viewed by or she was viewed by those around her, blessed, praised. Can, can people look at your life and see anything that's praiseworthy? Now, now we're talking about, we're not talking about. Living a life of pleasing others and so that others will accept me. Now, that's not the context. The context is are you living a life that's pleasing and honoring the Lord? Or are you living a life that points to Him and not to you? You know, there's a fine line between our motivation for service for Him. Now, I like this quote Brian Chappell said, it's in your notes. It's kind of long, but it stands out. It says, We must understand how to separate our who. From our due. What we do does not gain us God's affection. Who we are by virtue of His unconditional love constrains us through the power of our gratitude to obey Him. If we ever invert these relationships, as is the instinctive natural impulse of all humanity, by assuming that who we are before God is a consequence of what we do for Him, then we make God's love conditional. And our security questionable. Can I just tell you this? You will never be good enough to earn God's love. You can't do anything to buy it. You can't do anything to deserve it. That's why His love is a love of grace and mercy. See, you and I deserve to be separated from God forever because of our sin. That's what we deserve. But Jesus looked at us in love and said, you know what? They're not going to get what, they're, what they deserve. I'm going to give them grace, something they don't deserve. And that's what he showed when he died on the cross. He showed us grace. He praised her. Remember, she said, I'm nothing, chapter one. I'm black. I'm comely. That black is not race. That black is place saying, hey, I'm just a servant out in the field. I don't deserve the love of a faithful shepherd, and you and I don't deserve his love either. He loves us with a grace-filled love that we cannot comprehend. He praised her. He prioritized her. There's no one else. And God loves us as if there were only one of us, Augustine said. So he praised her, prioritized her. And then number three, look, they prompted her. Look at verse 10. They, remember those women who questioned her loyalty? Remember those women who wanted a piece of her man? Uh, remember, now they're praising her for her faithfulness and commitment. Look at verse 10. Who is she that looketh forth as the morning, fair as the moon, clear as the sun, and terrible as an army with banners? Hey, look at you, girl. You go. You go. That's what they're saying. In verse 10, they're responding to his description of her, validating what he's spoken about her. Now think about this. The world might not know how to answer what you and I have to say about the Lord, but they cannot argue with the power of a changed life that's been changed by the gospel. They can't argue that. They cannot argue your personal testimony because it happened to you. You were there when you met Jesus. You know what you were before him. And they cannot argue what's happened since Jesus stepped into the picture. They can't argue that. See, he doesn't compare her with the world, doesn't compare her to Solomon's women. There was no comparison in his eyes. So let's bring that home today is that how you look to your spouse? Is that how you look at your spouse? There's no one like them in a positive way. You know, Pastor, there's nobody like you. Uh, you know. But listen, in your mind, in your mind, please don't answer out loud, but in, their mi- in your mind are there better options out there? In your mind. How about your kids, your family? How about... Your home, your job, your church, your plans, your future. Is there anything else out there? In your notes, this quote The devil would love to send you a cheap substitute for what you currently have, but you can't afford it. See, the devil would love to send you and I a cheap substitute for what you've got right now. You know what? If your wife loved you like your coworker's wife, Loves them. You know, if if your wife, if your husband treated you like that co-worker's husband treated them. If your kids acted like their kids act. If you had a bigger house, a better car, a better job, a better title, whatever. The devil would love to give you a cheap substitute. But you and I cannot afford it. We can't afford it. Because the devil never shows you and I the price tag. Never shows us the price tag. He doesn't show you how you're going to have a life of guilt and regret. He doesn't show you how damaging relationships can truly be. How relationships can sometimes be broken and never reformed. He doesn't show you that. See, he doesn't show you the full price that you'll pay. And can I say this? The devil is really good at saying, You got plenty of time. You got plenty of time. Hey, you don't have to work on that relationship today. You got, man, you got tomorrow. Tomorrow's going to come. But you and I don't have that guarantee. You have the now. And we need to live and learn to live in the now. Not what's going to happen next week or when I retire or uh, when my, I've got grandkids. We need to learn to live in the now. See, comparison doesn't focus on what God's given me or what's done for me. Comparison focuses on keeping up with others. Paul addressed that in Galatians chapter 1 in verse number 10. He said, For do I now persuade men or God? Which one am I pursuing? Which one am I trying to keep up with? He said, Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. We see this in our day-to-day lives, don't we? You see this with your co-workers. Man, everybody pursues something. We all pursue something in our lives. It's either going to be pursuing your dreams, your goals, your desires, or His. One or the other. But you can't serve both at the same time. Paul said, if I seek to please men, I can't serve Christ. You have to choose. Who are you comparing yourself to? Because at the end of your life, when you stand before God, there is nobody else to give an account to. You will stand before an audience of one person that matters. One. And that's not me, by the way. That's not the pastor. That's not your parents. That's not your friends. That's not your co-workers. That's not your spouse. It's God, the one who created you, formed you, and has a desire to use you. See, we, we live in a world that pushes us to keep up, but God tells us to be content. Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatever state I am therewith to be content. I'm just going to learn to be content with what God's given to me. And are you content with where you are, who you're with, what you have? The findings, she said, hey, I know where he is. The facts, he said, I know the love that I have for her. And then lastly this morning, we see the fault. Look at verse number eleven. This woman, after all hearing all this sweet talk, she's having none of it. She's not paying attention. She rebuffs his confession of love and gives her own confession in verse number eleven and twelve. We see the confession. Now there is some debate on who is speaking here. Is it her? Or is it him? You know, if it's him, maybe he is trying to rebuff you know, kind of where he was. Maybe he's saying, hey, when I left, this is what happened. This is where I went. Because it would make sense, because he says, I went down in the garden of nuts. And she said earlier, he's in the garden. So it would make sense that it's the guy. But as we look, it makes more sense that it's the woman. All right, Let's look at verse number 11. I went down in the garden of nuts to see the fruits of the valley and to see whither the vine flourished and the pomegranates budded. Wherever I was aware, my soul made me like the chariots of Aminadab. Now, she's looking in the past. She's talking about her previous life. Every time he talked to her and said, you're beautiful, I love you, she always looks back, which is a dangerous place to look, by the way. Never look back. Look ahead. There's a reason that the Rear view is much smaller than the windshield. Because if you stare in the rear view while you're driving, you will wreck your car. And hurt yourself and most likely others. There's a reason that the rear view mirror is smaller than the windshield. You're supposed to be looking ahead, not behind. Now, she starts looking behind. She says, man, my life was good. I was a servant. I was a farmer. I did all these things. I stayed in the gardens and I tended things. She validates that in chapter 1. But then she talks about these chariots she realizes that remember everything's figurative here she talks about the chariots and how she came to be with him she's minding her own business going about life when he sees her you know what that tells me she wasn't leaning over the fence going oh I'd love to be with that guy she wasn't leaning over the fence looking for him he sought her Say, Pastor, what's the big deal? We weren't looking for Jesus. He was looking for us. That's who He is. He seeks us. He desires us. And His love overwhelmed us and drew us to Him. David said, Psalm 139, 17, How precious also are their thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! We weren't looking for Jesus. He was the one who was looking and found us. He's the one. So she confesses, I wasn't looking for you, but you found me. And then we see the call in verse 13. Look here as we close out this chapter. The call for the woman was for her to come back into this restored relationship. Return, return, O Shulamite. Return, return, that we may look upon thee. What will ye see in the Shulamite as it were the company of two armies. The reference to two armies is talking about two groups that are moving in harmony together like a trained battalion in the military. Moving in harmony together. They're taught how to move in sync with one another. And that's how our marriages are supposed to be. Two lives that have become one. Mark chapter 10 in verse 8. And they twain shall be one flesh so then they are no more twain but one flesh. Are you in close fellowship with those relationships that are closest to you? Are you in total harmony with the Savior? James chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. You know, it's kind of like this thing of harmony and being in sync is kind of like playing an instrument. You know, I, I grew up playing the piano. Started taking lessons when I was seven years old. You know, there's something beautiful about music in general. But there is something special about playing in harmony. You don't typically go to hear an orchestra that's all playing the exact same note. You go to an orchestra or you go to a symphony or go to a concert to hear all of those notes playing in harmony together. See, I can play... Uh, Let's see if I can actually play it. Some of you, that is the concert. It's like, man, if I could just do that, that's awesome, you know? But, you know, playing one note at a time, it's somewhat impressive, but it's not really beautiful. It's not... Significant. See, I can be playing this down here. See, I'm I'm just playing my song, but while I'm trying to play this up here, there's all this down here. It's not beautiful. Nobody's gonna listen to that. You know, some of you are already like, when's the message going to be over? Uh, there's nothing beautiful about that. You're not going to sign up to listen to that. I wouldn't. I want to hear the beauty, I want to hear it all come together. And I can conduct my marriage that way. Hey, I'm going to play just my note while all this chaos is going on in the background. We're not in harmony when Michelle and I are not on the same page. See, I can be over here and, and there's other stuff going on over here that drowns out my song. You know, if you're saved today, a believer, you have a song in your heart. That is beautiful. But are you just playing your one little note over here with not allowing any other corresponding harmony to go with it? Or are you content just playing your own tune and tooting your own horn? That's not impressive, and it doesn't bring honor to the Lord. See, it doesn't bring... it's not impressive until you add all of the other corresponding notes with it. And for us as believers, many times, with the Lord, we're okay just playing our song. Hey, I don't need any of that other stuff added to it. I'm just going to play my tune. And as long as you hear my tune, everything else doesn't matter. It's not important. But when people hear my tune... It doesn't bring glory and honor to Him. See, it takes those other corresponding notes to bring about a certain measure of beauty. You say, man, that is really something when all those other. And it's not about the piano. It's about your life. And it's about my life bringing honor and glory to the Lord. It's about your marriage. Are you playing your note by yourself with no harmony added to it? It's about your relationships outside of your home. It's about your children. See, are you just trying to, man, when my kids get high school and when they finish and they go to college and they're out of my hair, man, that will be a glorious day. And you will have wasted valuable time that God has given to you. God has given you an opportunity to play beautiful music with your life. And if we're not careful, We'll be content with just playing one singular note with no harmony that brings no glory to God. And we'll look back and say, man, I wish I would have. Hey, don't look back at the end of your life and wish that you could have changed. Change now. Change now. Say, Lord, how do I get the most harmony out of my life today? How do I provide... All of those other corresponding people. How can I work with my spouse, with my kids, with my coworkers, with my church family to bring about a song that brings you honor and glory? Is your relationship with the Lord in total harmony? Or are you settling for just playing your own little song all by yourself? Every head bowed, every eye closed, this morning... Let me just simply ask you as we get ready to have a time of prayer and reflection on God's Word. and We'll sing a song and we'll be dismissed in just a few moments. But before we do, let me just ask you today, are you playing your own song? Do you even have a song? You know, if you're here today and say, Pastor, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't, I don't know what this thing about a song and relationship with the Lord, I don't know what that's like. Maybe you're like me who grew up in church and You had never established a relationship with Jesus for yourself. Maybe that's you. Could I encourage you today to ask the Lord to reveal to you what you need? Maybe it is a walk with the Lord. Maybe it is you have nothing to show as far as a relationship with Him. Maybe you've just been spinning your wheels for years, never getting anywhere. Maybe what you really need is a lot more Jesus and a lot less you. And maybe that's your need today. If your need is salvation, it's so simple. He made it simple so everybody could have it. That's realizing that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. That you have a sin debt that has to be paid somehow and you can't afford to pay it. That's why Jesus came to earth and he died on the cross and paid your sin penalty that you deserve to have to pay. Jesus paid it for you. But just knowing that Jesus died for you is not enough. You have to ask him to apply it to your life. It's simply asking Jesus to come into your heart and life and take over your life. That doesn't mean that there's going to be an immediate metamorphosis on the outside, but your heart will change immediately. And you can begin that journey with Jesus today. And maybe that's your need, whether you're here in the room or watching online. If you've not established that relationship with Jesus, would you simply talk to him about that? Admit what your need is, that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. Tell him that you believe that he died for you and mean it. It's not a magical prayer, it's a prayer of faith. And then ask him to become your Savior. It'd be the greatest decision of your life. It's the greatest decision of my life, I'm 17 years old. And then maybe your walk with the Lord isn't what it is, what it should be. Maybe you're playing, content to play one note with no harmony. But would you simply talk to him today? Our personal workers are on the move and they'll be right down front. If you need to pray with someone, we would love to pray with you, try and encourage you. Uh, Pastor John is right down front and be happy to pray with you, talk to you. If you have a step that you need to take today, whether that's baptism or membership or discipleship or getting involved, whatever that is, we'd be honored to take that step with you and to help you in your journey with Jesus, if you'll allow us. But start with Jesus. Everything begins with Him. If you don't have the relationship, let's take a moment and ask Him to help us. If you're here with your spouse, maybe you want to just pray together. Hey, our our life hasn't been in total harmony. Our marriage hasn't been in sync together. Yeah, one of you is trying to do what's right, and Maybe one of you is coming to church, the other one's hit or miss, or maybe one of you is reading your Bible and the other one's not. But your spiritual life together isn't in sync. It's not in harmony. Would you maybe reach over and take that person by the hand and just talk about what you need together as a husband and wife? Maybe pray and just ask the Lord to help you, guide you, your home, your marriage. If you need Jesus, He's waiting on you. You're not waiting on Him. Remember, you're not looking for Him. He's seeking you. Would you simply surrender to Him today and submit your life to Him and His desire? If it's been a while since you've been near the Lord, would you come back home today? Would you simply ask Him for His help? Father, please bless our time of invitation and reflection. Lord, You are our hope in life and in death. There is no other. And Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. Lord, I ask that you please help us now to search our hearts and reveal to us our spiritual needs. Lord, if there's someone watching online or in the room that doesn't know you as their Savior, help them to call out to you today. Lord, help them not to have peace until they do. And Lord, whatever the other needs may be represented, please do a work in hearts as only you can. We love you, and thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.